trust is something that is built over a long period of time it's a two way process it involves investment and therefore it's important to build on that so we can easily create uh, photos of cells or uh, tissues that look very realistic and that technology can be used to create all kinds of fake news uh, and fake signs Hello and welcome to this podcast series from the International Science Council on Freedom and Responsibility in Science. I'm Marnie Chesterton, and in this final episode, we're looking at trust. How can we combat malpractice and misconduct in research? And how do we promote trust in scientists and the work they do? So many of the important decisions we make in society are based on scientific evidence, from how we treat diseases or educate our children to the interventions we make to protect the planet. It's vital that science is credible and reliable. And yet, despite the advances we have made this century, scientific fraud is on the rise. There's obviously several kinds of misconduct you could see in a paper, but the most visible ones are photos. Images, photos of plants or mice or cells or tissues or blots, things like that. This is Elizabeth Bick, a microbiologist by training. She now specialises in the detection of fake images in scientific papers. Things like photoshopping or using the same image twice to represent two different experiments. You might see statistical errors, you might see impossible numbers or, or numbers that look very similar, either uh, between tables or across papers, suggesting that the data has been made up. And then there's the misconduct you cannot see just because the person is, is smart and is hiding it and uh, you can, could only catch it when you're sitting next to that person doing the misconduct. Uh, if they use a different antibody or a different cell line, or if they just dilute their samples a little bit, you can make your results look exactly the way you want it without doing that experiment. Catching scientific misconduct isn't always possible, but Elizabeth has tried to get a sense of the scale of the problem when it comes to images. I scanned 20,000 papers and I found that 4% of those, 800 papers, had signs of image duplications. And we estimated about half of those had been done deliberately. So that would mean that 2% of the papers that I scanned had signs of misconduct. Now, I think the real percentage of misconduct has to be higher, maybe the 4 or 10% range. And I do think it's, it's getting worse. You see that there are paper mills, and those are companies that make fake papers and sell the authorship positions to those authors who need those papers. But it's hard to catch them. So... Journals, luckily, are getting more aware of this problem and are screening their incoming manuscripts better to catch these fake papers. Publication fraud like this is damaging in all kinds of ways and in the long run ends up hurting all of us. For example, with these paper mills that we have discovered, it's damaging the people who are honest scientists who are doing really good science. But it's also damaging for science because we already have seen in the past couple of years uh, during the COVID pandemic that there is a group of people who have a huge distrust in science. And I think the stories about misconduct in science could actually help those people be more convinced that science is, is all fake and, and we cannot trust scientists anymore. So what can we do about this growing problem? Well, according to Elizabeth, it's going to take action on multiple fronts. It takes a village. It takes not just the scientists themselves, 
but the institutions that they work at, the scientific publishers, the readers, and, and maybe even uh, a government to make sure that science is done properly. So the, the papers that I found, I reported all of those to the publishers, and I found that only one third of those papers were corrected after waiting five years. I would love to see that there were some consequences for people who are caught photoshopping in science. I feel that that paper should be retracted and, and those people after an investigation should be punished, maybe lose their job. And I think we need to move towards a reproducibility model of scientific publishing. We tend to focus too much on novel science, which is great, but I think we're we're moving too fast. We need to take a step back, reproduce more experiments, and then give the people who are able to reproduce experiments recognition for that. Researchers, institutions and governments all have a role to play in ensuring that science is done responsibly. But trustworthiness isn't the same as trust. The COVID-19 pandemic showed that not everyone was willing to put their faith in experts, and we saw the life-threatening consequences of inaccurate information. So whose responsibility is it to build public trust in science? I would start with school teachers and parents who need to inculcate in children the spirit of scientific inquiry, inquisitiveness, curiosity, the need to question, and to, as they grow, to be able to distinguish between credible sources of information and what could be perhaps false information. This is Salmia Swaminathan, former chief scientist at the World Health Organization and currently the chairperson of the MS Swaminathan Research Foundation in Chennai, South India. But of course, I think scientists also have a responsibility. And I think fundamental understanding of science is that it evolves constantly, that it's a community, really not individuals, that ultimately come up with solutions to problems. Sometimes there is a proof that actually overturns what was believed earlier. I think we also have, as scientists, and as well as as public health experts, a duty to communicate what we understand in language that's simple, that's easy to understand, that's not talking down to people, but engaging them in a conversation, treating them as equals, and trying to address the myths and misconceptions that we might find around us. But unfortunately, we've all seen how these days communicating research findings or debunking myths online comes with its own challenges. There's a lot of online abuse and hate. And I think particularly for women, sometimes, you know, this can be very ugly as well and it can get very personal. There needs to be norms of behavior on what you can and cannot say on social media and what kind of language, you know, you can and cannot use. And I would like to see these rules being put in place and enforced. That's the only way to have a constructive and open debate because a lot of people were thrust into social media at the time of the pandemic when they were desperate for knowledge. And there was a lot of confusing information out there, what we call the infodemic. So I think that's, there's a lot of education to be done really in, in all of these areas before we can get a much more enlightened and, and uh, maybe civil discourse going on some of these topics. The COVID pandemic put public trust in science to the ultimate test. So what lessons can we learn? 
And looking to the future, are there reasons to be hopeful? What I find very encouraging is that if you ask people whom they trust, their trust in scientists and their trust in the medical profession seems to be quite high. After all, it was science that delivered for us during the pandemic. So many vaccines developed within a year of identifying a new virus and a whole lot of understanding of how this virus spreads and what the immune responses are. And again, studies have shown that in countries where there's high trust between people and between government and people, their outcomes were generally much better. The people were much more willing to comply with, with government instructions than in places where there was less trust. I would say, however, that trust is not something that can be built overnight. One has to get into communities, one has to engage with them, uh, they have to be participants in the process. Top-down measures usually are not the way to build trust. That's it for this final episode on freedom and responsibility in science from the International Science Council. The ISC has released a discussion paper on these issues titled A Contemporary Perspective on the Free and Responsible Practice of Science in the 21st Century. You can find the paper and learn more about the ISC's mission online at council.science forward slash podcast. And in July 2023, the ISC will produce another paper through its newly established Centre for Science Futures on public engagement and trust in science. Insights from the paper will provide a robust framework to interpret, mediate and explain scientific knowledge and provide advice, recommendations and policy options. Visit futures.council.science for more information.